and you're listening to a sermon from Bent Tree Church in Loveland, Colorado. For more information about Bent Tree, visit BentTreeChurch.com. Thank you for leading us in that. Well, what a special week we have. Merry Christmas. I didn't say Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. That was weak. All right. Let's, uh, let's open our Bibles up to Isaiah chapter 49. We'll get to that in just a few minutes. Uh, but before we begin our time of preaching, I wanted just to mention a couple of things that uh, first is we have three Christmas Eve services, three Christmas Eve services. So the times are going to be different. Uh, we have three candlelight services. You're going to love Christmas Eve. It's, I've already looked at the service. It's, it's wonderful. Um, we'll have special times, 9 a.m., 10.30, so you 11 o'clockers, make sure you come at 10.30, and then noon. And Now, if you call Bitcher your home, I want to ask for a couple of favors. First is to get the word out to friends, family, uh, just tell them personally to come, uh, but also invite them, if you're on social media, uh, invite people, uh, use uh, our social media posts, you can do that or make one of your own. Uh, so make a point to invite people. The second thing is that we need some help on Sundays regularly with just a, a few key areas, and I'd like you to pray about helping out with one uh, of these areas. One is our children's ministry. Uh, there are several areas that from little babies, and I mean little, we have lots of babies, uh, through, through babies, through preschool, grade school, we could use your help from just helping out in the classroom, uh, to actually teaching there. Uh, and we'd love to have you apply for that. Now I say apply because you've got to go through a background check and then you also have to have some training. We don't let just anybody in with our children. We're very selective on that. But this would be a great impact that you could have on the children of our church. The second one is in the area of production with the lights, the uh, all the stuff, the sound. Since COVID, we've tried to put this service, this second service, online live each week. And so we need some help in that area, specifically the second service. But we could use a few people that would serve kind of behind the scenes. And, and it's not super hard, but you have to have at least some point-and-click ability on a computer. Uh, the church is the church, and being a servant to the rest of the body, that would help us greatly. So serving brothers and sisters, let me say, especially if you don't know people and and you go, I'd like to get involved, this is a great way, either one of the, with, uh, with the children or with the serving on that. So I hope that you'll do that. Pray about it. Well, we're in the Christmas rush, aren't we? Uh, and this time can be great, full of joy, a happy time, full of excitement, uh, but I know it can be a time of year that's just, well, let's just be honest, can be kind of hard for some. It can be draining. You can feel like overwhelmed. For some, Christmas can be, well, let's just admit it, can be painful. Uh, we don't like to talk about it, do we? But we talk about the Christmas blues. And I don't know where you are emotionally, uh, spiritually. Maybe you're up and full of joy today. Uh, or you're wrestling with some of the heavy stuff of life. You know, uh, you know what you need. And, and if you're up or down, you need a Christmas song. You need a Christmas song. 
And maybe you don't want a Christmas song. Charles Spurgeon, the great Baptist preacher from the 1850s in London had this to say. He says, is, is there nothing to sing about today? Then borrow a song from tomorrow. Sing of what is yet to be. Is this world dreary? Then think of the next world. And you know that is so true to think of heaven's song. To be a new day when we will be with Christ Jesus. That will come for those who follow and believe Jesus as Savior and Lord. That's what the birth of Jesus is all about. That's why we sing Christmas songs. That he has come and this is a new day. And we are in our second week of this Christmas series, Songs of the Servant. And even though those songs uh, are ancient songs, approaching 2,800 years uh, old now, these songs, I think they will help us look to the future, give us joy right here in the right now. These ancient songs are written as a prophecy of the coming Messiah, a foretelling. And we can think of these songs as the very first Christmas songs And we see that style of Hebrew poetry in these songs. That's why it's laid out like it is in your Bible, you can see. And although we don't have the tunes to these songs, we still hear the message of these. And we're going to unpack that today, how this prophecy has been fulfilled and it will be fulfilled. So now if you missed last week, Go back and pick up that. It's it's chapter 42, the first nine verses of 42. And with this second song this week, well, it's no less awesome. I've loved this series. And we're going to look at the first 13 verses of chapter 49. So we're going to have to move fast. Ride like the wind, bullseye, as Woody would say, right? So last week, we played like we didn't know who the song was talking about. It's talking about Jesus being the Messiah, the promised one. But we do know that these songs are speaking of Jesus first coming as a Savior and a Lord. Now, structure-wise, there's a lot to write down, so just get ready. Here's the first one. The second servant song is composed of three distinct servant or distinct sections. The second servant song is composed of three distinct sections. Now, this is a long piece in here. And so we want to understand. These are like the verses of the song, if you will. Key to unlocking the meaning of the song is to understand how each of the three sections fit together. They'll flow from one to the other. They will set up. The final section of the song will reach its crescendo in the meaning of it. Now, if you remember the first song we studied last week, God has been speaking, first person, God speaking to his people about a mysterious servant that would come, that we call the Messiah. Now, as Christians, we clearly see that pointing to Jesus, don't we? Unlike last week, though, the first song was the first, it was just God the Father speaking. This week, we're going to hear a duet, if you will. It's going to be God and the Son. God will start the song off, but then the servant is going to be featured in most of the song, then talking about the Father. So let's see the first section of the song. Look at verse 1. Listen to me, O coastlands, and give attention to you peoples from afar. This is the Father speaking. 
The Lord called me from the womb, from the body of my mother. He named my name. Well, you know this is God the Father in this first part. But who is God the Father speaking to? Who's the audience that this song is being sung for? Who is the prophecy directed towards? Well, let's break it down. Take that first first verse and look just at the first part of it. He says, listen to me, O coastlands. Now, this reminds me of when I was in high school and I played high school football. I was a wily pirate. Are you impressed? And I've told you this before, but when it comes to being a great athlete, I was a musician. And so when I played football, I loved it. But I wanted to tell you, we had this guy He was a brilliant man. His name's Coach Schaefer. He's one of the reasons I'm in ministry today. He helped me figure that out. When he spoke, you listened. If it was just talking kindly like this, or in a game where he grabbed your face mask and yelled right into your helmet, you listened. And right before a game, he'd say, boys, boys, come on, pirates, Come and take a knee right here. And so we'd take a knee. And it wasn't that you sat down on your rear end or you took two knees or you stood up. You took a knee, one knee. You held your helmet and you looked. He'd say, boys, look right here. I want to see your eyes. I want to see that you're listening to me. Then he would look straight at me and he'd say, are you hearing what I'm saying? Then the coach would tell us the game plan and all the important information that we were about to face with our opponent. You got the picture? That is exactly what God is doing here. He's saying, pay attention. Let me see your eyes, that you're listening to me. This is going to be an important message. But who is he talking to? Well, this last part of the servant song, it was the people Israel, the last one, the first servant song. But this time, the audience is still the people of Israel, but it includes a wider audience. It's starting to widen up, and you'll see what he's talking about. In this servant song, this is going to be a little freaky, I know to say, but I think this servant song is going to address you, me. I mean that. I mean that. Now, we're not there yet. Uh, This servant song It's still got to be developed, but we're going to see this in the second and third sections of the song. But just get ready. He's saying this is important. Look what it says in the second half of verse 1. Listen to me, O coastlands, and give attention to you peoples from afar. This is the widening that we're talking about. The scope is a universal tone that he's taking. God is talking to the people of the world. Now, the reason this is so important is because this message is about to speak. It's not only about the Messiah coming to save Israel, but the servant that has come to, as the Messiah and his mission for people all over the world. But then check out the last part of verse 1. The Lord, Yahweh, called me from the womb. From the body of my mother, he named my name. Now, something just changed here from the first part of the first verse. Something has changed. Someone else is talking. Did you notice? I believe that this is the servant now speaking to us 
who is coming because the depiction of the speaker is too exalted to be a human prophet. And it's clearly not God the Father speaking anymore. That leaves us thinking, this must be the servant speaking here. The promised one, the Messiah. In other words, Jesus is now addressing us. Did you catch that? From the Old Testament, Jesus is addressing us. Is that powerful or what? Because the first half of the verse is, listen to me, pay attention, you people from afar, God says. Listen, it's like Coach Schaefer, listen. Then the servant begins to speak. And what does he say is going to happen? Listen to how the servant begins to speak about himself in the first person. This is cool. I promise. He's going to speak this prophecy in the first person, but in past tense. As if the prophecy has already occurred. And yet, this future event that will happen in 750 years, the birth of Jesus. Why speak of it in past tense? Here's why. Because when God says something is going to happen, listen to me, you can take it to the bank. It's as if it has already occurred, even though it's happening in the future. Is that wild or what? Do you see what we're getting at? Now, this might blow your mind. It blows my mind. This is a dialogue we hear between God the Father and God the Son. This part especially. This song is referencing a conversation that took place before time, before creation ever takes place. We're talking about the eternal past, before time and creation. So write this down. The first section of the song is referring to the covenant of redemption and the role of the servant to carry it out. The first section of the song is referring to the covenant of redemption and the role of the servant to carry it out. Now, in other words, God's word is sure and it will come true. He says it will happen because the servant will carry out the will of God the Father. Now, as the servant begins his part, he's going to point out two things that are going to happen, okay? First, God is apparently planned, and you could even say predestined his servant's mission to the world. Before the world is ever created, the servant says about what God has done, God is calling me from the womb, from the body of my mother. He named my name calling him from the womb. Now write this down. The servant says that God the Father predestined or planned the servant's mission to the world. Remember, that's before creation, before time, space, matter didn't exist when this was done. The servant says God the Father predestined the servant's mission to the world. It's important you understand that. That Jesus' coming wasn't some, well, I guess we should send Jesus since you screwed it up. Now flip with me real quick over to the Gospel of Luke, New Testament, for just a moment. Luke chapter 1, little Christmas passage for you. Let's read this, and this passage is going to speak now back into Isaiah 49. This will be cool. 
Remember what Jesus has just said about him coming, being born of his mother's womb. In the sixth month, starting in verse 26, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to the city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled and the same at the saying, and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him to the throne of his father, David. With reading and thinking about this, and then what we know of the second servant song so far, we see that God calls his servant, he predestines his servant to be born of a woman. And not just any woman, when we read Luke 2 here, and when we read Joel, the prophet Joel, the child would be born to a virgin woman from a virgin womb. Meaning she had never been with a man. She had never carried a child. Thus this birth is going to be different than every other birth that had ever happened. In other words, his birth will be a supernatural act of God. Because if this is new to you, I'm sorry. Babies need a mommy and a daddy to be born, right? But not here. It must be this way to be the servant, to truly be God and truly be a man but without sin, without original sin, so that the servant can be an acceptable sacrifice for the sins of his people that he comes to save. And that God will give him the name. What does the angel say his name will be? Jesus. We see in Luke 2, as the angel Gabriel delivers this message to the Virgin Mary, he tells her the name of the Messiah is to carry the name Jesus. But then look to how the servant continues in verse 2. He made my mouth like a sharp sword in the shadow of his, uh, in the shadow, in the shadow of his hand, he hid me. Now this is the servant talking. He made me a polished arrow in his quiver. He hid me away. So two things, two things he's doing. This is where we see the second thing the servant describes as God the Father doing. Here it is. Write this down. God the Father equipped the servant for his mission in two ways. Second thing, but there's two things with this. Number one, God enabled the servant to speak effectively. Speak effectively. God the Father equipped the servant for his mission in two ways. God enabled the servant to speak effectively. Now you get the imagery, don't you, of these two things? He equips the servant by making his mouth like a what? A sharp sword. By the way, that's not just an image for image sake. We read about that in Revelation 19, verse 11 through 15. It describes the prophecy 
of the rider on the white horse with the armies of heaven alongside coming to earth with a sharp sword coming out of his mouth. Meaning his words have power. But then there's the other thing the servant says that God made the, the servant like what? A select arrow. Now this is fascinating. Watch this. A special arrow. You, you guys that are archers, you take that, that special arrow. You know, the high dollar one, right? From Shields. You got it all ready. You go, this is the kill one. I'm pulling this one out. That's what he's saying. It's a special arrow designed for a very specific purpose. So write this down. Here's the second thing. God made the servant to penetrate the spiritual heart of the nation with his message. Woo! There's something supernatural going on right here. God made the servant to penetrate the spiritual heart of the nation with his message. Now, if you would, look back at verse 2, that second line. When it says, in the shadow of his hand, it's talking about God the Father, he hid me, and then the last line of verse 2, in his quiver he hid me. Now, this is the son or the servant speaking about God the Father, that he's hidden away. Now, what does the servant mean here? Two things. It's that God the Father has preserved the servant until the... The right time. He keeps him in the quiver. And he will send him at the right time. He will draw out that arrow. Put him in his bow. And let him go. And he will come to the earth. At the right time. Not just willy nilly. Oh I think I'll shoot an arrow. No no he's saying I'm going to do this. And I'm going to shoot exactly. Now here's the other thing. God the father. It means God the father will then protect the son While he's on earth until he goes to the cross. Think about the last few months together. As we've been studying the gospel of John chapter 7 and 8. Over and over the Jewish rulers are there ready to kill Jesus. Angry. They're not got their swords out. Jesus just. He just walks away. I mean how does that happen? Because God protects him. In King David In the person of King David, we see a foreshadowing of the person and work of Jesus. It's like David is a type of Jesus, like a shadow of what he will be like. So listen to how King David writes this. It's fascinating. Psalm 64, verse 2. David wrote, he, God, hid me from the secret plots of the wicked, from the throng of evildoers. Whoo! I should mess you up. That's cool. God protects Jesus, his servant, until Jesus is time to go to the cross. Until his mission is complete. Until the arrow strikes the center target. Okay, let's look back at verse 3 together. This might sound confusing at first. But I promise it'll make sense. Remember this is Jesus speaking right now. The servant is prophesying what will be, what he will be like when he takes on flesh. Got it? Verse 3. And he said to me, talking of the servants talking about God, he said to me, You are my servant Israel, in whom I will be glorified. Now, Paul, you've been telling us for two weeks that the servant is Jesus and not Israel. And right here it says it's Israel. 
There's some that would say that. You are my servant Israel in whom I will be glorified. So it must drive us to the question, does that mean that the father is speaking of the nation of Israel and not the servant? The answer is no. This is still the servant speaking. God is talking about and and preparing the servant for the nation of Israel. So what do we have here? What do we have? Here's what we have. God has proclaimed that the servant will bring glory to God as the true Israel by accomplishing what the people of Israel failed to do. You tracking? God has proclaimed that the servant will bring glory to God as the true Israel by accomplishing what the people of Israel failed to do. Now grab onto this. He's calling him Israel because he's the true Israel. He's going to do what the people could not do. The servant is telling us here in verse 3 that God the Father has charged him, commissioned him to be a servant To live a life on earth without sin, upholding the law perfectly, sinless. To be holy, to be set apart, and to be this living, sinless, living this sinless life. The servant will bring glory by doing that to God the Father. Because humanity fell in the garden. Adam and Eve's first sin. Israel as a nation Us, we were never able to keep the law, were we? They would would turn from God over and over. God called them back, the people of Israel. They would turn away from God. You read the Old Testament. Whole thing is about that. But Jesus in his life would never do that. He would live this perfect life. Now what's crazy about studying this servant song is that this is Jesus talking about this 750 years before he'd be laid in a manger blow your mind? It should. Now, something I want to point out here is that although Israel as a nation was not not able to hold up the law, the covenant with God, and Jesus will, he'll be able to uphold that covenant. God in his faithfulness, listen to me, will not abandon Israel. Whew. That's good news. Because you know him. Because you know how many times I've let him down. And he hasn't abandoned me. And he won't abandon you. God will still work through Israel. And I think we're seeing that even today. In today's headlines. But the problem with that doctrine. Uh, is seen in verse 7. Check this out. Isaiah 49. The first part of verse 7. Thus says the Lord. Yahweh. The Redeemer of Israel and His Holy One. To one deeply despised, abhorred by the nation. Talking about Israel. The servant of the rulers of rulers. Now this is, this is important. Notice that God the Father calls the servant the Redeemer of Israel and His Holy One. He calls him that. But then God the Father is sending His servant to the nation of Israel. That will in turn despise this servant, abhor him. Will ultimately call for His crucifixion, won't they? 
In other words, they will hate the servant, hate Jesus so much that they will crucify him in the end. But but even that will be according to God's perfect plan as the Redeemer. Do you see here God's predetermined plan of Jesus to come to earth to save his people? Do you see it? You should. I mean, to me, this seems as plain as the noses on our face. Does it not? And I got a big nose. But for the first readers, not so much. The first people hearing this. For them, it was like looking into the future. It'd be like us saying, what does 750 years in the future look like? Now, you don't know how long it's going to be. They just know it's a long time. For them, they can't see through the glass darkly. It's dim. We have the advantage of the rest of the story. Like Paul Harvey used to say, the rest of the story right here. We have it. The New Testament unlocks the Old Testament, doesn't it? Sorry to make you jump around. Go back to verse 4. Jump back up there. Remember, this is the servant It's his part of the song. He's singing this. Look at verse 4. But I said, I have labored in vain. I have spent my strength for nothing and for vanity. Yet surely my right is with the Lord, Yahweh, and my recompense with my God. This is fascinating to me because remember, this is a prophecy of something that will happen in the future. But we see that Jesus is frustrated When he sings this about something that will happen in the future. Remember, it's like it's already happened in his mind. He says, I've spent my strength for nothing. For vanity. Like chasing the wind. Now that does not mean that Jesus sees his mission to save Israel. To save his people as a waste of time. Doesn't mean that. That's not the conclusion we should draw. So what does it mean? Well, rather... What Jesus is referring to here is that Israel's rejection of him, that they will fail to receive Jesus' ministry. In that sense, it appears that the servant, Jesus' labor, appears to be wasted. But it wasn't. Praise God it wasn't. Real quickly, turn back to the Gospel of John. Do you know where that is? Do you know where John is? Your Bible should just fall open to John now. Do you remember when we read way back in chapter 1, starting in verse 9 through 11, John the Apostle says, The true light, referring to Jesus being born, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him. Yet, the world did not know him. He came to his own, And his own people did not receive him. The apostle John here is echoing Jesus' words from the second servant song. Do you see that? So the servant is saying in light of God's people Israel rejecting him. The servant will now declare, watch, an expansion of his calling and his mission to the rest of the world. You are welcome because this is your cue. This is you coming into the picture. And I mean you. Write this down. The second section of this song is referring to the servant expanding the offer of salvation to the entire world. Praise God this happened. It was always the plan. But praise God it happened. The second section of the song is referring to the servant expanding the offer of salvation to the entire 
world. This is good news for us. Those of you who are not Jewish by heritage. We have a few that are Jews by heritage. We need to be thanking God for this if we're Gentiles, meaning non-Jew. Because we read in verse 5, And now the Lord, remember Yahweh, says, He who formed me from the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob, underline Jacob, back to him. Why does he bring Jacob back to him? Watch this. And that Israel might be gathered to him, for I am honored in the eyes of the Lord, Yahweh, and my God has has become my strength. So even though we see in verse 4 that Israel will reject the servant when he comes, and even though the servant will expand the mission to include all the Gentiles of the rest of the world, and even though Israel has been and will be unfaithful, they're still being unfaithful, the servant's mission will be to bring Jacob back to him. Jacob is another word for Israel. It is another way to save the Jews. So when it says here that Israel might be gathered to him, to the servant, why will they be gathered to the servant? At some point in the future, will Israel do something so good that the servant will go, I need to redeem them? No. He says, for I am honored in the eyes of the Lord. Remember, Lord, L-O-R-D, when that, you see that capitalized, that means Yahweh. So Jesus here as the servant is saying, the reason I will gather Israel to myself is to glorify God and God alone. Because I am honored in the eyes of Yahweh and my God has become my strength. He saves Israel the same reason he saves you and me. Not because we are good, because we're wicked and we're sinful. We're screwed up. But he says, I love you. I love you. And even though you're not good for it, I am. For my glory. You got it? All right, look at verse 6. Isaiah 49, verse 6. He says... It is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. Despite Israel's rejection of the servant's mission, the servant, talking Jesus, will still bring Israel back to the Lord. He will preserve them. But don't, that doesn't stop there. He brings all the nations to himself. We know that because of how it started in verse 1. Declaring to the whole world. Remember Coach Schaefer, catch a knee boys, listen up. I'm going to expand this to the whole world. Talking to all of you. But we also know from the passage right here that the servant is quoting God the Father and says, quote, I will make you a light For the nations that my salvations may reach to the end of the earth. Now that's what the first servant song said. The whole point of the first servant song. We studied that last week, didn't we? In verse 6 here, when it says, It is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob, to bring back the preserved of Israel. 
Make sure you get this. It's God the Father speaking again here. He's basically saying this. Look, saving Israel. He's talking to the servant. He's saying, saving Israel, that's too small of a job for you. I want you to save the entire world. That's what will bring me glory. Now, is that saying that every person will be saved in the end? No. But like we said last week, people from every tribe, every tongue, every nation. In other words, people from all over the world, the entire world will be saved. Because we know from other parts of scripture, especially the last book, Revelation, that those who reject Christ, we know those, they'll be thrown into hell forever, separated from God. And during God's wrath, because of their own sin, they will experience the justice of God. They will get what they deserve. And listen to me, they'll get what they want, which is not God. Do you understand? They don't want God. But for those that have trusted in the servant Jesus to be their Lord and Savior, Jesus will pay their debt of their sin, will pay their debt of justice on the cross. Now, we looked at part of seven earlier, but let's read it again because it begins the last part of the three sections of this servant song. Here it is, verse seven. Thus says the Lord, remember Yahweh, thus says Yahweh, the redeemer of Israel and his holy one, to one deeply despised, abhorred by the nation, the servant of rulers, kings shall see and arise, princes, and they shall prostrate themselves, means lay down, face down on the ground, prostrate themselves because of the Lord Yahweh, who is faithful, the holy one of Israel, Who has chosen you? God the Father is being quoted here by the servant. It's like a duet. So in the first half of the verse, we see Israel will be despised, will be reviled. I mean, Israel will revile the servant. But then in the second half of the verse, we said that the opposite will happen. That's because the servant comes. He carries out the mission in the end. It says the result is kings shall get up off their throne, will arise, and the princes and the kings will lay down, not kneel down. They'll get on their knees, but then they'll lay face down. We're talking like this into the ground. So you probably get this, but kings, rulers, they don't get up off their throne for just anybody. And they certainly don't lay down and worship for just anybody and lay face down unless they know that that king is the king of the kings unless they realize it's the Messiah. And why will kings and rulers worship this way? It says, because of Yahweh who is faithful, the father is faithful, the holy one of Israel who has chosen you because God the Father Yahweh had chosen him because he will make it happen so that the servant Jesus will bring glory to God the Father now we've covered a lot of ground we have but I need you to stay with me let's focus because this third section of this servant song 
goes from verse 8 to verse 13. It's very important. It is the climax of the song. Despite God's prophesying about Israel's rejection of the servant, God the Father is now going to look further, even further into the future. Instead of the birth of Jesus, now he's going to do something a lot further. And that brings us to the third section. Here it is. The third section of the servant song is referring to the end time events and future kingdom of God. Whew. The third section of the song is referring to the end times, end time events and future kingdom of God. God is going to show how ultimately Israel will believe in the servant and place their faith in him. That Israel is going to be redeemed At the appointed time. So there's a time set in the future. Our future still. Verse 8 says this. Thus says the Lord. Yahweh. In a time of favor I have answered you. In a day of salvation I have helped you. I will keep you. And give you as a covenant to the people. He's talking. God the Father is talking to the servant. Do you remember last week's first song that we covered? We, we saw that same phrase that God speaking to the servant will give you, the servant, as a covenant for the people. Do you remember that? We see it again here. It's an important thing. Remember, this is why you and I will exchange Christmas gifts on Christmas morning. Because God gave the ultimate gift that first Christmas. Jesus. As a gift to his people. Meaning that the servant Jesus. Given as a gift. He is the covenant mediator. For the people of Israel. Ultimately. The Gentiles as well. Now write this down. See if this clicks in your head. The servant is a covenant mediator gift. For the people of Israel. The servant is a covenant mediator gift. For the people of Israel. You go, Paul, I thought it was to us too. Hang on, just write that part down. The servant is a covenant mediator gift for the people of Israel. From the father, he gives a son. The phrase covenant mediator is a way to say the covenant will be mediated by the servant. Make sense? Not just that he will give the covenant to the people. But that he is both the covenant and the mediator together. Jesus Christ. Because of what we know now from this passage. That the song takes on now a new meaning. Literally. The only way we could live to have true life and be brought out of spiritual death. Is because Jesus as the servant became the covenant and the mediator for us to be reconciled with God. There's only one way. Are you connecting the dots here? You getting it? I want to explore this so much more, but we got to keep moving. We're so close to the end, but there's big stuff. In this last section, I want us to listen now to how God will restore his people Israel and how that includes you. Along with all the Gentiles who place their faith in the servant Jesus. 
Paul tells the Gentiles in Romans 11 that we are grafted into the tree, into the branch. We are the branch. We're grafted in. It's like we're attached to the tree of Israel. You got it? We become Israel. We don't replace them. We are added to them. Do you see that? With knowing that, listen to how the song ends then. Knowing that the Gentiles are added and that he saves the Jews as well. We'll get the last line of verse 8 and then let's take it all the way to 13. To apportion the desolate heritages, saying to the prisoners, come out. To those who are in darkness, appear. They shall feed along the ways. All on all bare heights shall be their pasture. They shall not hunger or thirst, neither scorching wind nor sun shall strike them. For he who has pity on them will lead them and by springs of water will guide them. And I will make all my mountains a road and by highways shall be raised up. Behold, these shall come from afar and behold, these from the north and from the west And these from the land of Syene, sing for joy, O heavens, and exult, O earth. Break forth, O mountains, into singing. For the Lord, Yahweh, has comforted his people and will have compassion on his afflicted. Can't you wait? I can't wait to hear the mountains break out in song. That's going to be scary. This is future stuff that we're talking about. Even for us, you are going to see this. Check this out. If you're a Christian or not, if you're a Christian, this is going to be awesome. If you're not a Christian, this is going to be terrifying. This is talking about the end times. Notice that it is, it is all God doing the work. Those who the servant will set free will begin to experience the future blessings of God. That will happen. And on the way to that happening, God himself will provide food, water, as they travel from exile of the land uh, to promise to the land, they will make sure, he will make sure they were, are safe and provided for. That God will bring them safely home. Now, I think that this set of verses has two distinct meanings. I think that this is talking about spiritually All the believers who are not saved will get saved. They will be believers in Jesus Christ. And that he will bring them home to heaven. Our real home. This is not our home. He will bring them home. But at the same time, I think that this is also referring to the physical Jewish people scattered all over the world. Being called back to the physical promised land of Israel. Now we've seen this happening over the last hundred years, haven't we? Especially since 1948 when the UN established the nation of Israel for the Jews to come from all over the world. And ever since that, ever since 1948 and the state of Israel, the modern state of Israel is created, we have seen war after war, nation after nation, much larger nations, nations all around them attack them at once. Over and over. And yet, and yet, Israel has been protected. And by the way, this points, this points 
to something I'll have time to talk about. But let's talk about it for a second. God's purpose for America, too. That's a subject for another day. But briefly, without the United States, there would be no Jews, much less a nation of Israel. They would have been exterminated by Hitler and the Nazis. I'm not saying that we saved them. I'm saying God used the United States. In many ways, God has raised us, the Americans, up to protect Israel. We are even seeing that today. Hamas, which means violence, by the way, and much of the Islamic world right now has uh, sworn to destroy not only Israel, but to hunt down every Jew and kill them. Despite the odds of overwhelming larger enemies surrounding them, Israel has been protected. You can't tell me that's not a God thing. I think we're being beginning to see this passage right here fulfilled, don't you? And you know what that could also mean? Time is short, baby. We don't have long until Jesus calls us home. Now, here at the end of the second servant song, we see the servant's mission come to fruition. For two weeks so far, in both the servant songs, one and two, We've seen the promise of the Messiah coming to the earth, haven't we? God the Son taking on the flesh of a human, arriving as a tiny babe. Now, there are some who think Jesus is just a legend, just a myth. But I think that is to ignore history itself, don't you? Obviously, the Bible tells us that Jesus has come, born that time to a tiny babe in the arms of a the Virgin Mary, he promised us he would come and he came. And we know that there are those outside the Bible as well that testify to the historicity of the birth, life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. I mean, massive changes happen because Jesus came. The world has been different. History itself shows that the earth has been different because of that birth. Jesus has left his mark on the earth for sure, but he ain't done. And Jesus has promised to take his people home to heaven. We see here in the second servant song this great promise, this great prophecy to both send the servant and that the servant then will draw all of God's people to himself for the glory of God. Now, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe There's another thousand years before Christ returns. But I don't think so. Do you feel it too? Do you sense a shift in the world? If you're a Christian like me, I think this song calls us to action. Now maybe it's just me. Maybe younger people don't feel this as much, but last five years and especially the last three accelerating in the last two something's happening isn't it we're seeing the wheels move ever so slowly it reminds us that this is not our home that the time is short and we better be about the father's business just as Jesus was 
Our job is to share the gospel and to help people grow, to teach them the gospel, to teach them everything that God's word says from Genesis to Revelation. For you non-Christians, what are you waiting for? It seems to me the time to believe is now. Start following Jesus. Trust Him as Lord and Savior. Accept Him as your Savior and Lord. And which means to depend on Him solely for your faith and nothing else. To pay for your sins. To live your life for Him. To make Him the center of your life. To throw away the plans you have for yourself. To say, I think I want to throw that away. God, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? I'm going to leave you with one more verse that I find in the New Testament book of Hebrews. I say I find it in the New Testament because it's quoting the Old Testament book of Psalm, specifically Psalm 95. We read this in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 7 and 8. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing. In the wilderness. If you recognized it or not. You have heard the voice of the Lord today. How do I know that? Because I read his word straight to you. Don't harden your heart towards this. What is God saying to you? Let's pray. Heavenly Father. As we think about all that this entails. Of these two songs That you have sung to us. We see your hand. Upon redemption. That you have called us. From death to life. So God right now. I pray for believers in this room. That you would embolden us. To share the gospel. To be unafraid. To share with our family. And our friends. And those at work. And those at school. The gospel of why we believe. And what the gospel is. And for You that are not believers, believe. Is Jesus who he says he is? If he is, change teams. You've been called to life. You didn't somehow figure that out by yourself. Listen to me. God the Father has called you to life and the Holy Spirit has made you alive. If you are believing right now, you have been made alive. So quit following your own desires. Your own plans for your life. Make your job. Make your, make your family. Make your body. Make everything that you, you own. Point to Jesus. Bring the people in. For the glory of God. Time is short. If you want to believe. Simply say this. God I believe. Save me. I believe Jesus is your son. And you take the keys to my life. Live life for me. Show me how to live. Convict me of sin. And and as you have forgiven me, help me to live righteously. And end your prayer like this. Thank you for your saving faith. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this sermon from Bentry Church. To get connected at Bentry and for more information, please visit BentreeChurch.com.